Before we open up our text this morning, let's go to God in a prayer. Our Father and our God, we are grateful today for you and for your love, for your care, and for your guidance. We're thankful for the time that we have to come together to gather as saints, as heirs, as brothers and sisters, as children of the King, to bring you worship, to bring you praise, but also, Father, to edify and to strengthen and encourage one another to do the kind of things in this world that you've called us to do as your people, to be the kind of workers, to be the kind of husbands and fathers, wives and mothers be the kind of friends and employees and employers who not only do the right thing but do the right thing for the right reason who bring you glory in all that we do and who shed a light in a dark world I pray as we leave this place that we would be convicted that we would be led that we would be emboldened to follow where your spirit leads us in this world we thank you for Jesus his sacrifice, the bond of unity we have in his blood. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29 uh, today. And Jeremiah 29 has one of the most often and misquoted verse, not misquoted, but misused verses in the scriptures. And it is, just read for us a moment ago for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you not to destroy you plans for a hope and a future and man that is just such a nice rosy and peachy you know scripture isn't it i remember in our uh, bible class in uh, edmund we had that it was a young families class Uh, we all had young families um, toddlers and babies growing up we had that scripture plastered on the wall for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and I I, I suppose it is true that God does have plans to prosper you but the thing that is often misused about that is we use that scripture in kind of the same way we use Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength We use it in a way where maybe it's not really intended. The the principle might be true. Maybe it's not really true to the context because what we frequently abandon when we talk about God's plans for a hope and a future is we tend to kind of skip over the 70 years of, of bondage. We kind of skip over a generation who was born into captivity, slavery. We skip over the the consequences that Israel is facing before the plans for a hope and a future and the, and the prosperousness is given to Israel we kind of skip past those difficult things to the hope instead of using the hope to get us through the difficult things so we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 you know we've been talking about the way and and part of living in the way means that we need to have some guidance we need to have purpose we need to have direction we need to have vision and we need to have you know a mission not just as church as a church but as individual Christians do you have a mission for your life do you have a vision for your life 
in the way that you will live in this world. You have an idea about what it looks like to be a child of God in a secular community who could care less about what God is or does or has to offer. Can you see what that looks like? I uh, was listening to a, it was Ken Griffey Jr. was doing an interview about his ability to hit a baseball. And, you know, he talks about how he is able to just envision himself. He goes, every time before I go up to the plate, I picture myself doing what needs to be done. Maybe I need to hit a, a, a base hit to the opposite field. Maybe I need to lay down a sacrifice bunt. Maybe we need a home run. Whatever it is that needs to be done in that situation, I have to be able to envision myself doing it before it happens. If I can't see it happen... I stay there until I can see it. And he said in this thing, he goes, I really don't know how to explain it, but you know, that you have to make decisions so quickly and so promptly and, and, and it's in like milliseconds that you have to decide in, in the major leagues to hit or swing that these really, really good hitters have the ability, have the kind of vision where they're able to actually slow down in their mind the process of the decision-making because they are so laser focused on what they have to do on the task that is set in front of them do we have that kind of vision do we have the ability to be so intently focused on the one thing that God has in mind for me that everything else just kind of slows down and comes in slow motion or that all the other distractions and things begin to just fade away and disappear because we are so singularly focused on the task that God has laid before us. We need guidance. We need direction. We need that kind of vision and that kind of mission. And this is why we need that kind of vision and that kind of mission because we have choices to make. And our choices are not always going to be correct. I mean, the fact is we are human. It doesn't matter how godly we may be or how in tune with God's desire for our life we are or His will, we are human. And we are going to make decisions that are counter to that will because it's the nature of humanity. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall. And and our choices may have some difficult consequences at times. But here's the truth that that vision continues to bring us back to. That even in those difficult circumstances and even when we are enduring those times of tribulation, God is still sovereign over the lives of His children. And this is what we see in Jeremiah. This is what we see in the life of Israel when they are captive in Babylon. I'm going to read this letter here in just a moment that is written to the people of Israel. Now, yeah, you're in a place where you don't want to be. You're in a place where you shouldn't be. You're going through things that you shouldn't be going through. And there's going to be a whole generation of people who are born into captivity, who are there not because of any choice that they made, but because they are enduring the consequences of choices that their parents made. He says, this is where you are. And even though it's not where you belong, God is still sovereign in the lives of his people. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4. There's a letter that's read by Zephaniah the priest. It's read to the people. 
and it's read in the presence of Jeremiah. And this is what the letter says. Verse 4, this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams that you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you. And I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place that I deported you from. You have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says concerning the king sitting on David's throne and concerning all the people living in this city. That is concerning your brothers who did not go with you into exile. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I'm about to send against them sword, famine, and plague and will make them like rotten figs that are inedible because they are so bad. I will pursue them with sword and famine and plague. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and a desolation, an object of scorn and a disgrace among all the nations where I have banished them. I will do this because they have not listened to my words. This is the Lord's declaration that I sent to them with my servants, the prophets, time and time again. And you too have not listened. See, sometimes, sometimes as we see here in Israel, the trouble that we face in our lives is a result of the presence of evil. Sometimes it is the result of our own poor decisions. Sometimes it's the result of decisions that are made by people who are around us. But what we see with Israel is even when Israel changes, the consequences still remain. And isn't that the truth in life? Like, I can make a bad choice and I can repent of that bad choice, but it doesn't change the fact that there's still some hurt to be endured because of it. There are still consequences that occur even when we have made a change in the way we are living, in the way that we are seeing. And, and sometimes things just happen. I mean, sometimes this, we have to deal with the fact that we just live in a broken world in which there is trouble, in which there is strife. And there are times where we find ourselves victims to, to, to circumstance. Not of our own doing, but we have to endure 
in any case. Vision, mission, and direction allow us to understand that God can redeem anything. Anything if we turn to Him with our whole heart. And and this is frequently where it it becomes an issue for me, and we see it was an issue for the Israelites, that they frequently turned to God half-heartedly, or only momentarily wholeheartedly. That they were willing to turn almost everything back over to God. But there were still places in their life that they had reserved for the things that they were comfortable with. There were still places in their lives where they uh, continued to surrender and to turn over to the things of the world and not surrender them to God. Some things that they held back. And there are some things in my life that are really, really difficult to surrender to God. But God even says to the Israelites, look, I have a plan for you. And yeah, right now, you can't see it. Right now, you're living in captivity and you think all is lost because what you know is you know that there are people back home living where you're supposed to be. But I promise you, the future for you is better here than it is for them over there because they're going to receive my judgment. You are here to endure the things that you have to endure because I have a plan for you. I just need you to stay close enough close enough to me during this time commit to me endure these times and you will see what I have in store for you they got a time frame we don't often get a time frame I mean God has never come to me and say hey um, hey Josh if you can just endure this for three months I'm going to make it all better in three months okay course Israel's time frame is a little harder to swallow than that right 70 years when 70 years is complete then I will make known to you the promise I will restore the promise and the place that you were promised I've often said you give me an end time you give me a a time when something's going to end and I can endure anything I don't know if I could have endured 70. 70 years is a long time. Especially, you know, from the outset. But he talks to them about how to endure it. This portion of Jeremiah's message is is to the Israelites who've been defeated, who've been taken captive because of their obstinate disobedience, right? Right? They've been told time and time again to not take any idols before God, to not do this and to not do this and to not do this. And over and over and over again, Israel did exactly what God asked them not to. And so for Israel, at least the people who receive the commandment or the, or the, or the consequence, they can see the correlation between what they have done and where they are. Seventy years still seems like a long time still seems like a long time to endure the kind of oppression that they were going to be enduring in Babylon. But God had warned them, and they refused to listen. You can go back to Jeremiah 25, 1 through 11, and you can see um, a, a glimpse 
of the things that come. But here's the thing, and here's the thing with God. God is never void of hope. We read through Isaiah. We talked through Isaiah in a class on Wednesday nights here a little while back. Isaiah, over and over again, talks about judgment and destruction and the impending doom of God's people. But you know what the theme of Isaiah is? Hope. There's hope. Even in all of the judgment that is coming, all of the consequences that are coming, all of the things that are happening over and over and over again, Isaiah drives home this message of hope. And Jeremiah does the same thing. They're going into captivity. But the message Jeremiah wants them to see is even though you're enduring the consequences of your sinful behavior, there is hope. And the hope is not because you are good. The hope is that God is sovereign in the lives of his people even when you're going through trouble that you've created for yourself. He is sovereign in the lives of the people when you are going through trouble that someone else has created for you. God is sovereign in the lives of, of his people when we're just mixed up in an evil world. Our hope in everything is the sovereignty of God. And sometimes we just have to settle in. Right? Sometimes we have to settle in because that restoration is coming, but it's not coming for a while. And it's not that God says, get comfortable. It's that God says, you're going to have to live life in Babylon. Seventy years is going to pass. This isn't like the days of the Passover where you've got everything all packed up and ready to roll and you're eating unleavened bread because you don't have time for it to rise. You've got time for the bread to rise in Babylon because you're going to be there for a while. You're going to endure this time and this space. He says, so settle in. This is not going to be your final place, but it's going to be your place for a while. So treat it like it's your place for a while. The exile is going to be your punishment. And like, just like when I tell, used to tell my kids, all right, you get to go sit in the timeout chair. You get to go stand in the corner. or You're going to be grounded to your room. It wouldn't be 30 seconds. Dad, can I come out now? Is that enough time? No, it's not enough time. You're going to sit there for a while. My dad used to say, I want you to go to your room and think about what you've done. (laughs) I'll go to my room, but I guarantee you, I'm not thinking about what I've done. Except he would test me over it. Thought about what you've done? Yes, sir. What are you going to do differently next time? I'll be back. Israelites are in exile. They're in exile because they deserved worse than to be in exile. But see, God is faithful, and God remembered the promise that he had made to Israel, even when Israel had abandoned everything they were called to be. And God said, you deserve worse than this, but because of my faithfulness and because of my love for you, you will be restored when the time is right. They're enduring this exile, but yet they're receiving hope from the prophet because of the sovereignty of God, because they will be restored. They will be 
redeemed. They will be brought back home. They will be recovered. And sometimes in life we find ourselves in exile. We find ourselves in situations that we don't deserve. Maybe we find ourselves in situations where we deserve worse. But God is faithful. And he says to his people Israel when they are in Babylon, he says, if you will devote your lives to me, there is a hope and a future waiting for you on the other side. And it might be 70 months, it might be 70 years, it might be seven weeks, it might be ages. But God is a God of hope. And he is a God of faithfulness. Settle in. Sometimes we have to settle in. If you look at what he says in, in Jeremiah 29, he says, build homes. Have a family. Grow crops and eat them. And, and by the way, pray for the city that you are in. Because as the city prospers, so will you prosper. Never calls it home, but he says, you're going to have to live here. And you're going to have children. And by the way, when you have children, make sure your children marry. And make sure your children have families. Because you're going to be here for a while. But as the city prospers, so too will you prosper. So even in the midst of their exile, there are blessings from God along the way of prosperity. There is still a concern and a care, even in the midst of, of a place where they had to believe at times that God had abandoned them because here they are, captive in Babylon, once the mighty and powerful people of God, Israel, who marched through the countryside and people ran for fear because of the God that was coming for them. Is now a small remnant of people living as slaves in Babylon. But God continues to bless his people even in captivity. And he tells them to seek me with your whole heart. Trust in God. And to seek him with your whole heart, that's not easy to do in captivity. That's not easy to do in exiles, but they were instructed to settle down and to wait. See, here's the thing about those choices we make. And this is what we see with Israel is they wreak havoc on somebody's life. All right, sometimes I don't endure the consequences of my own action, but there are people around me that do. Sometimes there are people around me that kind of just get caught in the fray. The shrapnel catches a lot of people when things implode or explode. But the truth, the truth is that God is faithful to his people. We follow the same instructions now that God gave to his people Israel. I'm not going to promise you that this is going to be a short exile. Settle in. 
but trust in me and give me your heart. Because if you will do that, you will see my presence. You will see my guidance. You will see that even in times of trouble, you are still being prospered by God. You are still being prepped and groomed for the hope and the future that lies in wait for you at the end of this time. Because what God is about is God is about restoration. To be restored, to be made like new. <laughs> I had a, oh, a friend of a friend and several years back that was set, selling an old 1982 Yamaha IT250 Enduro dirt bike. Man, that dude was a running horse once we got it going. It had a little power band that when you hit the gas pedal, or gas pedal, when you would uh, crank the lever back and get it geared up, the engine would rev up, but it had a power band on it, so it didn't go right away. And so your inclination was to give it a little more gas. But when you gave it a little more gas, that power band would engage. It jerked that bike right out from underneath you. But this thing was, it was a terrible-looking bike. The, it was baby blue, but that baby blue had been all faded, and it was almost yellow because it was so old. But a friend of mine bought me this Restore 4. Some kind of little wax that was supposed to be good for plastic and things like that that had been sun damaged and look man when we put that stuff on that old gas tank and started to spread around and rub it in it looked like I would have bought it yesterday it was old it was worn out it was faded it looked terrible nothing kind of popped but man when we got done restoring it it was shiny it looked like new God's promise of restoration is the same, that, that oftentimes we find that life beats us up, we're, we're, we're broken, we're bruised, and we're battered, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are made new. We are restored. And we are made more and more and more into the image of Christ day by day. But the problem uh, with restoration, the trouble with restoration is that it requires honesty and I'm not very good at being honest with myself and it requires patience and as, as not good as I am about being honest with myself I am really not very good at being patient and as impatient as I am I am really not very good at surrender either because I like to think of myself a little, a little better than I am. It makes me feel better to just ignore the parts of my life that need to be changed, that need to be restored. And, and, and I don't often have the patience to go through the process of change, of transformation. And if I am really honest with myself, I really like the things that I have and the things that I do and the way that I am. And I sure don't want to surrender anything because I've worked hard for what I've got. But restoration requires us to be honest with each other, but more importantly, to be honest with ourselves. And to be patient with the process. And sometimes it's a long, arduous process. And to be willing to surrender everything to a Savior.
restoration, whether we're just in exile or whether we are being restored after rebellion, requires a complete turnaround. As we repent of the things in our lives that have conquered us, that have taken control in places that control doesn't belong to anyone else but God. It requires us to be open, to be vulnerable, to be honest about the places where we need to be changed and transformed. And it requires us to have the ability to just surrender everything to the Father and say, I am yours. So I guess the question I have for you this morning is, do you have the kind of vision, the kind of focused vision that enables you to see these things that God was not only trying to show Israel in their time of exile, but is likely trying to show you in a time of exile? That things may not be perfect for you right now. Things may not be perfect for someone who is going through some things around you right now, but the truth is this, that God is sovereign in the lives of his people and there is hope there is hope for the hopeless because what we see as hopeless God sees as something prime for restoration we just have to have the patience to allow him to work the wisdom to surrender and the honesty to acknowledge that it needs to be done.